Today we're continuing it on in the series, Truth Matters. Last week we looked at verses 1 through 4, and you'll remember the theme was contending for the truth. And today we're going to look at verses 5 through 7. So you want to turn to Jude 5 through 7. Well, there was a young preacher who was going to preach his very first sermon, and he wanted to have a memorable illustration or introduction. And so he went to an older pastor that he knew, and he said to him, hey, pastor, do you know of any surefire introduction that is guaranteed to get everybody's attention? And the wise old pastor said, oh, yes, I've got one for you. I've used it before. Here's what you say. When you walk up there, you don't say anything else but this. You say, some of my greatest days I spent in the arms of another man's wife. And then he said, wait a moment, and then say, my mother. (laughs) He said, now remember, two things, don't forget to pause for dramatic effect before you say my mother, and here's the other thing you need to remember to do, make sure you tell your wife what you're going to do before you get up there and do it. (laughs) My wife has no idea about this illustration. So Sunday arrived, and the young, inexperienced preacher, first sermon, he walked up confidently to to the pulpit, but he had two problems. Number one, he was very, very nervous. I mean, if you guys knew what you look like from here, you look like a big motorcycle gang. I mean, it is just crazy. So he, he was nervous, and he came up there. And the second problem he had, guess what? He forgot to tell his wife. But he, anyway, he knew what he was going to do. He was going to follow the old preacher. So he cleared, <clears throat> cleared his voice, and he said, Some of the greatest days of my life I spent in the arms of another man's wife. And he did like he was supposed to do. He waited for a moment. He paused. But his wife, who happened to be a hot-tempered lady, got up out of her seat and stormed the pulpit. And it so unnerved him, and he was so nervous that he stuttered. And this is what he said. And for the life of me, I can't remember what her name was. (laughs) Remember. Would you agree? It is important to remember. It is very important to remember. In fact, to forget to remember can be very costly. It has been wisely said that those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Have you ever heard that? Listen to this phrase. I want you to listen to the L words here. We are not to live in the past, but we are to look to the past and learn from the past so that we don't lose in the present and we don't lack in the future. Well, why are we talking about this, Lamar? Well, in Jude 5 through 7, that's exactly what Jude is doing. He reminds his readers, so therefore he also reminds us to remember, to not forget something that is very important. I think kind of the big idea today is this. As we contend... For the truth, we've talked about that. As we contend for the truth, we must see apostasy and refute it. You guys see how things go when you just sit back and don't give a a word or try to refute something that is uh, not truthful. It just gets like a snowball, doesn't it? Doesn't it sometimes feel like that? It's just a snowball rolling down the hill. Well, let's look at Jude, verses 5, 6, and 7. Now, I want to remind you. See, I told you it was there. He says, I want to remind you, though you know all these things, 
The Lord, having first of all saved a people out of Egypt, he later destroyed those who did not believe. And he has kept with eternal chains in darkness for the judgment of the great day angels who did not keep their own position but deserted their proper dwelling. Verse 7. In the same way, relating to those two examples, Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them committed sexual immorality and practiced perversions, just as they did, and serve as an example by undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Let's pray. God, I just pray that my words would be clear today, that our hearts would be open. God, I feel it. And I know it, that as we proclaim truth, as we defend truth, we come under attack. I pray, Lord, that you would keep that from me and from everyone here, everyone listening online, that, that we would resist Satan, that we would say, get thee behind me, Satan, and that we would follow you and that we would stand for truth no matter what it costs. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, I don't want to let you know something you may already know, but Christian researchers have labeled our culture, and they've labeled our culture as a truth-adverse culture. I'm like, you don't have to be a researcher to figure that out, right? So let me share with you from a large 2021 study. I think it's important if you share things that they be current, and this is from a large 2021 study. And listen to this, in case you... You don't believe what I'm saying. Did you know that only 32% of Protestant churchgoers read their Bible every day? And guess what? 12% rarely or never read it. So we have a row right here that's pretty full. Maybe yours is. But take, take about eight, nine people in a row and just think about that for a minute. What does that mean? Out of three out of the nine, yay, reading their Bible all the time. But one of those eight or nine, guess what? Rarely or never read the Bible. So look at your row right now, and you decide who that sinner is. It's funny, but it's sad, isn't it? This is not just people walking the street. This is Protestant churchgoers, whatever that means, okay? A 2021 Gallup survey announces to us that the majority of Americans, are you ready for this? The majority of Americans, this is 2021, view divorce, gambling, unmarried sex, gay and lesbian relations, embryonic stem cell use, doctor-assisted suicide, and there's more, but that's all the time we have to mention. They view it as morally acceptable. That's our culture. It is clear to the faithful, born-again believer that there is a war going on, and it is a war on truth. And let me go beyond that. Not a war on just truth. I don't think anyone's fighting gravity right now. I hope not, or that the earth is round. But it's a war on biblical truth. Biblical truth. Isn't that interesting? We know all truth is truth, right? We know God is the creator. So when we mention things like gravity or things like the earth is round, uh, some of the things I put in this little uh, handout that we had for you last week, there's still some out on the table if you didn't get it. It's called Does Truth Matter? And it talks about truth in general, but then it moves to the fact that all those truths are created by God. And even more so, there is a specific 
revelation, more than just creation, that he has given to mankind, and it's his word, and it's where the truth is. So we want to think about that. Well, what does this mean, apostasy or apostate? That is not a word that you're going to find every day at McDonald's, right? When you go there, get your coffee or whatever. So let's define it. If you want to write fast, I'm going to give you a definition of apostasy, or better yet, apostate. It's three phrases. See if you can get the gist of it. Here's the first phrase. A person who was once acquainted with biblical truths. A person who was once acquainted with biblical truths. Here's the second phrase. And might have had considerable head knowledge of them. And might have had considerable head knowledge of them. And here's the final phrase, yet has turned his back on them and is blind to the truth. Let me read that one more time. You can, of course, go online and and listen to the sermon, that part, if if you didn't get it written down. It's a person who was once acquainted with biblical truths, secondly, and might have had considerable head knowledge of this, and then third, the clincher, yet has turned his back on them and is blind to the truth. Now, if that's too much for you, let me give you just a simple definition of apostasy. Here it is. You ready? Arrogance plus ignorance equals apostasy. Arrogance plus ignorance equals apostasy. And so, so most of false teaching and most of apostasy that you'll find, it's either this arrogant, this special secret knowing of this and that, oh, I have this revelation, blah, 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 or it's just flat-out ignorance. Oh, yeah, that sounds good to me. That's kind of what I believe, and there you go with it. Either way, especially when you put them together, it's apostasy. So today we see, uh, right in the beginning of verse 5, that Jude reminds the church of three examples of, or illustrations of apostasy. And I think you saw those. There's one in each verse. Now, that word remind is an interesting word. It means to call to mind. Well, duh, Lamar, okay. Yeah, that's what it means. It means more than that. It means to call to mind once for all. He's like, you knew these things. Let me remind you once and for all. Here it is pay attention. And so we want to do that today. But before we do this, I want to take a moment of pastoral privilege. And this is dangerous. I'm going to do a little sidebar. Are you ready? Go ahead. Some of you are leaving already. I see you going. No. And here it is. I want to speak to you on behalf of pastors all around our country. I've had the the blessing to mentor a lot of guys and to be with a lot of guys, to hear their prayer requests And I want to share with you something. A January 2021 survey found that. Are you ready for this? 49% of Protestant pastors frequently hear church members repeat conspiracy theories about something happening in the United States of America. Now, praise God, my percentage would be way lower than that. But can you imagine? Half of the pastors in the U.S. are frequently hearing about conspiracy theories. Where? From church members. Church, this ought not be so. We can do better. We can be an example for others. We can keep evangelism and discipleship at the forefront. Let me tell you something. Every time you share this theory or that theory, you have spent time doing that instead of evangelism and discipleship. 
I want to tell you something as your pastor. Watch out for these quote-unquote theories. Because as I view them, they actually are like theories of this secret knowledge that I've discovered that you need to know about that no one else knows about. You know what that is? That's modern-day Gnosticism. I'm reminded of C.S. Lewis's uh, classic book, The Screwtape Letters. Anybody read Screwtape Letters? You ought to check it out. Now, C.S. Lewis, British guy, brilliant uh, didn't believe in God, but his search led him to what? Believe in God, and boy, could he write down things that we were thinking about, right? Even though it's a generation past and everything. I, I thought about this as I thought about this, this stat. And I want to read a quote to you from the Screwtape letters. If you will remember, you read it. Screwtape is the senior demon, and he's advising Wormwood, who is the, his nephew. He's the younger demon, and he's advising him on how to get the patient to turn from God. So you just picture that. Here's how we're going to get people to turn from God. And let me read this to you. Quote, let your patient begin by treating patriotism or pacifism as part of his religion. Then let him under the influence of partisan spirit come to regard it as the most important part. Then quietly and gradually nurse him onto the stage at which the religion becomes merely part of the cause, in which Christianity is valued chiefly because of the excellent arguments it can produce in favor of the British war effort or of pacifism. So some of you history buffs can go back and remember what was going on and what they were dealing with. But how timely is that? I say we can do better. Ponder this statement I read recently. I really want you to think about this. If it doesn't apply to you, then just go like this. But if it does apply to you, would you consider it? Listen to this statement. It cut to my heart. We urge our kids and grandkids to be discerning about pop culture intake. But as adults, we often are not discerning about our political intake. Don't get mad at me. I didn't write it. I just read it. But think about that for a minute. Is that who I want to be known? Unfortunately, I have some pastor friends that I believe by looking at, at what they're posting and what they're doing, that's what they're known for. How about a Bible verse or a prayer request every now and then? L listen, we can do better. I feel better actually being able to share that. And here's what I want to say, and I'll move on now, is would you pray for pastors? They're in a time that has never really been exactly like this, dealing with all these things, people that believe this or that, or think we should do this or that, or this theory or that theory. So just pray for pastors. I'm, I'm concerned, especially for our younger pastors, that they're tired. Maybe they don't have as thick a skin as us old guys, old, excuse me, older guys have. My wife said to quit saying I was old, so I'm trying. Sorry, honey. But would you pray for them? Just pray for them. And that's a, a, a tangent, but it's also part of truth because if I'm sharing something that's not really true, but it's a theory, then what? I'm, I'm not being part of the truth. So just take it for what it's worth. 
Let me give you two scriptures as we get back to Jude chapter 5. These are overarching uh, scriptures that I think will help us as we think about these examples of apostasy, and it's this, Romans 12.2. We read Romans 12.1 earlier in the worship service, but Romans 12.2 says, catch the first phrase, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So, why? That you may discern what is the good and pleasing and perfect will of God. So be thinking about Romans 12 too as we're studying Jude. And then 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. Jot that down. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And you perhaps know this phrase. And take every thought captive. Why? To obey Christ. Wow. That's who I want to be. Am I there yet? No, but that's who I want to be. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't we be a powerful army of God if we were able to take every thought captive and we were able to obey Christ totally, that we could resist being conformed to the age, that our minds would continually be renewed by Scripture, and we would do that which is good and pleasing and perfect, the perfect will of God. So keep those in mind as we look at these verses, Jude 5, 6, and 7, three examples or illustrations from the past. Because the title of this sermon, I think, said apostasy is not new. So we do need to remember that as we look and study today that, hey, this is not something unique only to 2021. Number one, verse five. Let's look at it. Now I want to remind you, though, you know all these things. The Lord, having first of all saved the people out of Egypt, later destroyed those who did not believe. It is the example of the children of Israel. It's the example of the children of Israel. Jude reminds the church that though God had saved, you remember the story? He had saved the people out of the land of Egypt in slavery. Afterward, he destroyed those who did not believe. Do you remember the story? What happened? He says, you guys already know this. Well, I think a lot of us already know that. All those 20 years and older, what happened to them? They didn't get to go to the promised land. They died out in the wilderness. Why? Because of their unbelief. Jude reminds us here that unbelief demands God's judgment. And let me just tell you that. If it's not true, it is false. If it's not of God's way of doing things, it is the opposite. And judgment is required. Now, the problem is we all... uh, have our timeline of judgment, don't we? We don't have God's timeline. We're like, come on, God, zap that guy. I am tired of that guy. Would you zap that guy, zap that guy? But judgment does come. So I want you to think about that. You see, picture this. All of Israel goes through the same type of experience. They all have the same experience in this example, but not all of them are saved. Why? They did not believe the Lord. Picture this. Think about this. Yes, I've really thought about this. The truth of God was all around them, was it not? 
There was that cloud in the daytime. There was that fire at night. We could go on and on describing all the things that God did. Manna, water, on and on and on. It was all around them. The truth of God was part of their everyday life, but they did not recognize it or acknowledge it. So the question I want to ask you right now is, do you recognize God's truth that's all around you and all over you? Think about the gospel for a minute. I want to share it with you real quickly. I want to tell you, number one, that God loves you and has a purpose for you. Did you know that? God loves you and has a purpose for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John 3, 16. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. So God loves you and has a purpose for you. Secondly, sin, our sin, we're all sinners, it separates us from God. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And people oftentimes, and maybe you've done this, try to bridge that gap where we're separated by doing a lot of things. Some aren't so good, but some are good things, but they try to do that. And I want you to hear uh, that the Bible tells us clearly there's no bridge that reaches God except one bridge. And God's bridge is the cross of Jesus Christ, the cross of Jesus Christ. John 14, 6, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way. So, we have this separation, and yet God has a rescue plan. It's the cross that bridges the separation, and it requires a response from us. And the response is this, and we talk about it all the time. Would you trust Jesus? Would you believe? Would you place your life in the hands of Jesus? John 1.12 said, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Would you want to be a child of God? You can do that. Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, what's here in Scripture? What does it say? Church, you know that verse, don't you? You will be saved. Now, I did that a little different than I normally do it because I used a little thing here. It's called Steps to Peace with God. Have you ever heard of it? Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. We will be sharing this on September 28th. We will be sharing truth on September 28th at the God Loves You Tour, the Route 66 Tour. You know that thing where the newsboys and Marcus Witt and a guy named Franklin Graham, they're going to be there. We are praying that God would change Albuquerque forever because of this event. So I just wanted to share you. Do you see how easy that was? Now, I had those verses memorized, but I still glanced down just real quick. Do you see how short that takes? You can do this with people, and I want to encourage you to do that because the fact of the matter is truth is all around us, but we don't always recognize it, and it's an opportunity for us to share it with others. So that's the first example, children of Israel. The second one is the example of what I call fallen angels in verse 6. And he has kept with eternal change in darkness for the judgment of the great day angels who did not keep their own position 
but deserted their proper dwelling. So Jude continues to illustrate to the church that apostasy is not new. Here's here, and we had example A, here's exhibit B, here it is. And he's, he's already used the illustration about, from the Old Testament about Israel. And now he reminds us something I think is important. Did you know sin did not begin on earth? Are you aware of that? You think, oh, well, wait, but the apple, Adam and Eve. Sin did not begin on earth earth but it began in heaven in verse 6 Jude calls to their remembrance he's reminding them remember this the fact that some angels fell now here's what I want you to get about that for them to fall they had to follow an untruth you see how it works even angels in heaven fell they followed Satan it's an untruth even though they're right there. Can you picture being in heaven right there with God? And yet they fell, followed an untruth. Isaiah chapter 14, Ezekiel chapter 28, you can read sections of those. It, they describe the rebellion of Satan. He had pride, he had sin, and uh, it caused him to be cast out of heaven and some angels with him. So that's Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 if you want to, to read about that. Re Revelation 12 is very interesting, verses 7 to, through 9. It tells us that war broke out in heaven between Michael, the archangel, and his angels, and Satan and his angels. Have you read this? And Satan was cast to the earth with his fallen angels. The Bible clearly teaches that right, right now we are at war. Think about it. We are at war with Satan. And according to scripture, with his principalities, his powers, the rulers of darkness of this age, and the spiritual, are you ready for this, host of wickedness in heavenly places. We're at war and there's a battle. And you can look at the end of Ephesians 6 and see there's armor, there's battle equipment that we are to put on and use every day. And the scripture here says these angels are in quote-unquote chains and they are ultimately awaiting what judgment day it's coming it's coming what a powerful example for us to remember not even these angels are spared from apostasy and I say to you watch out for false teaching and we'll look at that in the coming weeks more about false teaching Jude is still kind of setting this up but these angel angels think about this if you ever thought of it this way these angels were not willing they did not stay within their limits have you noticed that they had a, a job to do they had purpose God is a creator and he creates order and they had all that and they would not stay within their limits God's limits and I want to ask you today, how are you doing today with the parameters of truth that God has given you? I remind you, we don't need another sermon, a lot of us. We need to live within the parameters and obey what God has given us to do. I think that's part of the problem, church, maybe, is we're not living and obeying what God has already taught us to do, and therefore we're not, we're not different enough, we're not winsome to the lost folks to say, what is different about you? And we need to do that. How are you doing with that? 
Are you outside the limits God has given you? Is there an area in your life you need to confess to the Lord? Or are you living within, it's not a little, I'm not saying a little tiny box, but within the parameters that God has given the Christian to live? Well, let's look at the third example. Verse 7. In the same way, do you see the connector? It's connecting to these first two. In the same way, Sodom and Gomorrah. Have you heard of that? I went to high school with those two guys. No, that's not what that is. It's old cities, Old Testament, all right? Sodom and Gomorrah, and the cities around them, we forget that sometimes, committed acts of sexual immorality and practiced perversions just as they did and serve as an example by undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. So Jude continues to illustrate or give example to the church that apostasy is not anything new. And he goes to this story. We find this story in Genesis chapter 18, part of 18 and 19, if you'd like to read that. And you look at that. I'll just give you a little bit. Remember Abraham? He kind of goes and he pleads to God, hey, would you spare Sodom? Hey, God, he's a brave guy. He's brash. I wouldn't have done this. Hey, God, if I can find 50 righteous people in this city, will you spare it? Okay, I can't. How about 45, God? Can't do it. How about 40? By that time, I would have called it good because, uh, you you know, God's righteous anger. You know, but then he keeps going, doesn't he? Do you remember the story? Let me find 30. Nope. 20. Nope. 10 righteous people in this city. Nope, not going to happen. Doesn't happen. There was not even that many godly people in the city. And these readers knew that story. They knew their Old Testament. Wow, think about it. They're described as ungodly, as filthy, as wicked, as unlawful. Scripture says they're given over to the pursuit of lust. They were so full of sin that what did God do, church? He wiped them off the planet. Listen, these were, this was not the atomic age. This is well before that, if you didn't know that. And they were wiped off the planet. That gets my attention. Does that get your attention? And Jude, after sharing this, he, he says, basically, their apostasy should serve as an example to you. That word example means to expose openly to public view. And the same is true for us. These examples should expose clearly truth versus untruth or apostasy to us. So let me ask you a few questions this morning. Have you bought into the lie of lust that our culture promotes? I know people struggle with that. Have you bought into the fact that other activities, activities that are contrary to the Bible, are permissible? I have known people who call themselves Christians, and they're hung up on this one thing, and and they want to make sure that I'm okay with it being permissible. And I'm like, it's not not in Scripture. You're spending your whole life on that. Are, Are you that way? Or have you dealt with that in your life? If it's contrary to Scripture, it's not permissible. How about this one? Have you bought into this lie? It's my truth. It's my life. And I'm going to live my truth. 
Where in the world do we find that in Scripture? Would you show me? Someone hold up your Bible this morning and show me where that is in the Bible. It's not my truth. It is God's truth. And we know from Scripture, from many different places, I'm thinking of Galatians 1 right now, that you don't add stuff to it and you don't take stuff to it. Or watch out, you might end up being like Sodom and God might just take you off the planet. Truth. We are so smart, church, sometimes, aren't we? Let me just analyze this and figure this out. See, I've, I've worked this out. If you'll follow me, pastor, we go A to B to C and D and C, this is okay. No. You made up a straw man or you made up something circular or you made up just this flow chart so you could do this when God's word says don't do it. And you know what's even worse, church? God's word says do this. Is that not truth as well? And we don't always do this. We're working hard on don't do this, but that's only half of the equation. Again, let that soak into you. God, give us ears to hear. God, give us eyes to see, a heart to see this. Jude is saying to us, if the, number one, cho the chosen people, number two, the angels, number three, the sinful cities were punished for following falsehoods, how much more the false teachers? And that's coming in the weeks to look at that. Let me summarize it in three ways. I think this is in your sermon notes. Three truths that we should never forget. Three truths that we should never forget. Think about verse 5, and here it is. Remember the danger of unbelief. Remember the danger of unbelief. And what I would say to that is, be careful. Do not trust in the security of a past experience. Have you run into somebody? Well, I was baptized here and there. I didn't ask you about that past experience. I want to know about your life with Jesus. So be careful. Don't trust in the security of past experience and don't doubt the power of God in your life today. If you will open yourself to it. So that's the first truth. Don't forget that. Remember the danger of unbelief. Verse 6, remember the dishonor of rebellion. The dishonor of rebellion. Those angels. See, we need to accept God's plan for our life. We need to respect God's power over our life. And then the third truth to remember comes from verse 7. Remember the destiny of the immoral. That's the best I could do. <laughs> the destiny of the immoral. Sexual perversion can consume you. But you know what's worse than that? Eternal punishment can claim you. We need to remember these things. Let me close in this way this morning. Anybody ever heard of J.C. Ryle? Yeah, he's been dead a long time. It's okay. Uh, he was a 19th century pastor and author. And J.C. Ryle wrote in 1884 about the presence of this. This may be new to you. It was a new phrase for me. He called it jellyfish Christianity. Some of y'all are thinking. Jellyfish Christianity. He said it was within the church of his day, and he lamented the fact that so few Christians in his day were willing to stand up for their beliefs. I'm like, J.C., if you were here today, you might say the same thing, right? 
He, it just lament. You know what that means? It just, just crying out to God that people would not stand up for biblical beliefs. And here's the quote I want to read to you. It's a little bit long. Listen closely, and you will learn about jellyfish Christianity. The disdain for being dogmatic in your beliefs is an epidemic which is just now doing great harm, and especially among young people. It produces what I must venture to call a jellyfish Christianity in the land. That is, a Christianity without bone or muscle or power. You see, a jellyfish is a pretty and graceful object when it floats in the sea contracting and expanding like a little delicate, transparent umbrella. You ever been to the aquarium? It's pretty cool. Pretty cool to see. Yet the same jellyfish, when cast up on the shore, is a mere helpless lump without capacity for movement, self-defense, or self-preservation. Alas, it is a vivid type of much of the religion of this day of which the leading principle is no dogma, no distinct tenets, no positive doctrine, end quote. And I say, wow to that. 1884. How about 2021? And so I want to charge us with something this morning, church. May we learn today from Jude 5, 6, and 7. We must remember, church, we must remember once and for all what truth is. Church, may we have theological backbones. May we stand up for truth and for belief. Church, may we not be worried about what other people are going to think or what other people are going to say, and it's coming, or even what other people are going to do. May we stand for truth. And my prayer is, God, give us the fortitude. God, give us the courage. God, give us the commitment to tell the truth of the Bible, no matter the cost. And more than that, to live the truth of the Bible, no matter the cost. I promise I'm not beating you up. There's a lot of you doing that. But we can take another step forward, can we not? We have not arrived. And we can bring a brother or sister along with us. It's called discipleship. And bring another brother or sister along and help them to be able to live in such a way. God, as we contend for the truth, help us to remember Help us to see apostasy and refute it with love and grace. Help us to remember. And you know what the sad thing is? Some, I might even say much, of what you might hear on the radio, maybe not so much radio, but on Christian television, is false. It's apostasy, church. God never said if you'll just become a Christian, you'll be rich and have no problems and your wife or husband will love you. It doesn't say that. Or 
The reason you have cancer is because of sin in your life. Uh, they're warping. There's stuff in the Bible, but they're warping it. It's not what was meant there. We could go on and on and talk about health and wealth or other things. There's a lady out there that talks a lot about the mind and has even written a book on it. Be careful. It's not truth. It's taking this and this and this and sticking it together and creating this system. It's all around us and we need to be careful about it. Are we prepared to contend? Because we're going to get asked the question by our friends, hey, well, what do you think about this? I watched this or I read this book. This book said that God is love and so there's all kinds of ways to heaven. Are we prepared to share John 14, 6, other things? We need to be ready to do that, to contend. But hear me, church, as we contend for the truth, as we live for the truth, as we see apostasy, we must refute it with love and grace. It's got to be that way. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time this morning that we could hear from your word. It's a little tiny book and it's power packed. And God, I pray that we would understand your truth, your special, your specific and complete revelation to us right here in your word. And God, I, I just pray that right now people who are watching at home or wherever or people right here in this room would remember the gospel presentation we just shared. God, I pray right now that people would know that God loves them God has a purpose for them. It's called the abundant life. And God, would you remind everyone that sin separates us from God, from you. And none of our bridges work to span the gap, but your bridge, the cross, Jesus Christ, is the way, the only way. God, help us to remember that and help us trust in you. And God, remind us, that means turning from our, our old life, turning from our sin, and running to you and believing and confessing you. God, I pray that people will do that today. God, I pray for Christians who might be convicted this morning about areas of their life. Maybe the don't do section but others may be the do section and they've been negligent. God, they would make a commitment to you today. So God, we're going to have this time of response. And I pray you'll do your work among us. Whether we're standing, whether we're sitting, whether we're humming a song, whether we're praying that you would just land in our lap. Whether we're coming forward for prayer, Would you stand with me if you're able to? Uh, and this is a response time. It's a time for God to confirm and summarize what we have talked about in his scripture. And we are here to pray for you. My friends are over here and here. So anyone who would like to come forward for prayer or just talk, it's open to you. And I'd ask that you do, do business with God. I can see some of you already doing that. Thank you. And we'll just give this time to the Lord. You respond as as you will, as God leads you.
as you remain in a prayerful spirit, would you just ask God, God, show me one thing in my life. He'll do it. Just ask him right now where you are. Show me one thing in my life that needs a tune-up, alteration. And would you also pray this, God, show me one person in my life that needs to know about the abundant life. And if you don't have one person, church, I'd ask that you venture out. Go to the grocery store, meet someone. Go to the park, visit with someone, whatever it takes. But I'm guessing a number of you have a friend or a family member or a work associate, a friend at school who comes to mind. So God, we just ask that this morning truth would matter in our lives and it would be evident to others and that we would contend with love and with grace. In Jesus